0: Chapter Nineteen of The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Girls at Foaming Falls by Laura Lee Hope Chapter Nineteen Lost Although the other girls were not so frank about it as Amy, they all felt as sheeted about their present habituation, nor did the passing days lessen their dread of the grim old house. They came to spend more and more time in the open, taking basket lunches with them, so that they would not need to return to the place until the gathering dark drove them homeward. There was only one thing they dreaded more than sleeping in the old stone house, and that was being caught in the woods after dark. Ever since their meeting with Robina Robinson, and the episode of the savage dogs, the girls had had a fear of the woods. The thought of meeting the police dog in the depths of the woods was not a pleasant one. They probably would have forgotten this episode and overcome their fear of the shadowy woods, but for the fact that the barking of many dogs at night kept the incident fresh and vivid to them. It was Stella who recalled Rabina's statement that she was used to dogs, all kinds, and wondered if this strange girl knew the secret of the weird canine serenade at night. Even if she did, you would never get anything out of her, Grace applied to this supposition. I never saw such a closed-mouthed person in my life. If the country about Foaming River had not been so genuinely beautiful, and if the girls had not enjoyed themselves so thoroughly during the sunny daylight hours when they could forget the old stone house and the dusky woods, they would probably have packed their bags and started back to Deepdale the second day after their arrival. As it was, they lingered in hope that they might overcome their dread of the house and solve the mystery of the barking dogs. Most things have a very simple reason when you know it, Molly remarked sagely. Yes, but that's just the trouble, Irene pointed out. We don't know. And after this, no one can ever make me believe that what you don't know won't hurt you. Jasper Hill came back and forth from the village with letters. The girls noticed that on these trips, he very carefully refrained from going to the front door and always brought the mail around to the side entrance. Also, though he was pleasant to the girls and exchanged some jokes and bits of village gossip with them, he never lingered long in the vicinity. The girls imagined they could hear a sigh of relief as he left the house behind him and set off down the road. "'You can see the ghost is still real to him,' Irene sighed after one such occasion." Look, that foolish postal clerk is almost running away from here. It was this remark that inspired Stella to do one of her humorous sketches. It was only a rough and hasty effort, but when she passed it around to the other girls, they could detect the gangling likeness of Jasper Hill in the hurryman's man's figure, while behind him, just two jumps behind, as Molly laughingly remarked, was a ghostly figure floating along, feet scarcely touching the ground, and bony claw outstretched as though to grip Jasper by the collar. It was very funny, but there was something ghastly about it too. The girls laughed, but they shivered while they laughed. Directly afterward, they left the house in great haste and set off upstream for a swim in the river. It was necessary to walk for the better part of a mile from the old stone house before one could reach that portion of foaming river that was quite enough to permit of bathing and boating. Here was a small body of water, cut off from the main river by the projecting arms of two tiny islands. Connecting this miniature bay with foaming river proper was a narrow inlet scarcely wide enough for two boats to pass. Near this portion of the river gathered all the summer pleasure seekers. There was a good hotel, built close upon the shore of the picturesque river, and a dock extended out into the water. Here was a boathouse where it was possible to hire by the day, week, or season almost any sort of river craft that might be desired. All these things delighted the girls and made one of the reasons for their prolonged stay at the old stone house. They hired two canoes for their own use immediately, and when they heard on the Thursday after their arrival by means of letters brought from the village and delivered hastily by Jasper Hill that Betty and Allen would come up by motor the following Saturday and that the three boys would follow them on a train that would get them to the place only a short time later on the same day. The girls immediately rented another canoe. There promised to be a great demand for these small pleasure craft during the next week or two, and the girls dared not delay for fear there would be none left when their friends arrived. And what, Irene declaimed, is summer without a canoe. Needless to say, they were immensely excited over the imminent arrival of their little captain, her very new husband, and the three boys. Amy had received a nice long letter from Will, all to herself. Though the other girls begged and teased for a glimpse or a hint of the contents of this epistle. Amy persistently turned a deaf, though rosy ear to their entreaties. I suppose we ought to fix up one of those horrid, musty back rooms, Amy said when they were discussing ways and means of entertainment. Though I don't know how it can be fixed up to look anything but dreary and forlorn, she added, looking about one of the small apartments. It can't, and Grace grimaced distastefully. Somehow I hate the idea of putting Betty and Alan here. Don't. Let's. Molly was struck with a happy thought, and before any of them knew what she was about, had run back to the front room and was stripping the cot of bedclothes. Now what? began the girls as they followed and surveyed the scene. Then they saw that to which Molly pointed so triumphantly. The cot that they had been too indifferent to examine, and that they thought all the time to be a single one, was double. By seizing hold of a little iron railing at one side of it and pulling vigorously, they could make a full-size bed of it. Even so, said Stella puzzled, I can't quite see... Oh, you are all so dense! Molly stamped her foot at them impatiently. Don't you see that this makes it possible for Betty to bunk in here with us? But Alan,' Amy protested. "'Alan will want to camp in the tent with the boys, Grace said, suddenly seeing Molly's point. Even if he doesn't want to, he'll have to. Giggled Irene. You don't suppose he'll want to be the only man in a house full of girls, do you? Asked Grace. Oh, goody! cried Amy. It will seem like having our own little captain back again. Won't it be nice to see the boys too? Molly added. Maybe, she said so softly, that none of the girls gathered the full purport of her words. With them on the spot, the ghost will take wings unto itself and fly away. Before the arrival of Betty and Alan and the three boys, the girls were destined to meet with more adventure. It happened that on the Friday afternoon, The very day before the one on which the company was to arrive, the outdoor girls did an unusual and aggravating thing. They allowed themselves to become lost in the woods. It came about in this fashion. They had been wandering rather aimlessly, discussing happily the subject that had been uppermost in their minds since the day before. Suddenly, they heard a dog bark off in the distance, and Grace, brave because of the imminent arrival of the boys, perhaps suggested that they investigate in the direction of the sound. The other girls hesitated, remembering the savage police dog, but Grace's gibbs and persistence eventually turned them in the direction of the distant barking. They wandered for a considerable distance, but seemed to get no nearer to the sound than they had been at the start. Probably we have been brilliantly traveling around in circles, Irene suggested, enchanted. The outdoor girls, lost in the veil, like a pussycat chasing its tail. I shouldn't wonder if that observation comes too close to the truth for comfort, said Molly a little anxiously. Where, for instance, is that friendly little footpath we have been following all along? The girls attempted to answer the question by looking for the path. At first they searched confidently, laughing at themselves, for entertaining any anxiety on the subject. When the path remained undiscovered and they failed to find any familiar landmark, confidence gave way to alarm. The girls began to feel harassed and searched rather wildly, all to no result. They faced at last the appalling fact that they were lost in the woods with darkness not far distant. Were they mistaken in thinking that distant baying of the dog was a little nearer? Whatever are we going to do, queried Grace, trying to laugh. She stumbled and sat down on the ground from sheer weariness, A pretty kettle of fish, I must say. Hark, Molly spoke sharply. I thought I heard a whistle. They listened but heard nothing. Guess again, Molly. Once more, Molly cried out. There it is again. Hello, she cried, making a megaphone of her hands. Who's there? End of chapter 19, read by P.J. Travis